You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Let me begin today by praying. We are going to finish up chapter 4 of Luke. There's a lot of verses there, but really it's just a story. And so we're going to be um, looking at uh, Jesus' ministry in Capernaum and all that he did uh, there in Capernaum that Luke gives us um, from uh, the verses there towards the end of Luke 4. So let me pray for us, and then we will dive into what the Lord has for us today. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a faith family, Lord. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, for your word. The fact that we can gather together today as saints who have been saved by grace. Lord, that we are a faith family in Christ. That we sang your praises, as the song reminded us, of all that you have done for us. Father, I pray today, again... As we look at this passage, there is not a tremendous amount of things to do. We are called yet again to trust. We are called yet again to see Christ for who he is and to understand his authority. As Nate alluded to, his authority through his word, through the spirit. Lord, I pray that we will see that today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, on August 27th, 1963, three Pennsylvania coal miners were rescued after two weeks of being trapped underground. In the township of Shepton, better known today as as Pleasant Hill, it took six days for the crews on the surface to drill a hole just to see if these miners were still alive. The drill broke through the ceiling of the space that they they were huddled in. And amazingly enough, two miners were still alive. Unfortunately, the third one, they have never found. Food and water was lowered into the hole along with a microphone so they can actually speak to their families. Many of the headlines, many of the headlines all over, especially around Pittsburgh and in the area, and, and, and it probably caught national news as often as these incidents do. Many of the headlines read, Miracle, they're alive. Miracle, they're alive. Again, it took crews another eight days to drill a hole big enough to actually to bring the men to the surface. We have seen this scene before. Um, I mean, just in most recently over here at the Q Creek Mines where these men were trapped and, and all, the, all the equipment comes in and all the, all the specialists come in and then families are gathered and then the scene is filled with medical personnel and, and they're ready to respond whenever they bring these men to the surface. So we, we've seen this scene before. This was back in 1963. Again, there's always a, a swarm, swarm of medical people that um, waiting, just waiting to spring into action when they bring these men to the surface. So they were underground for six days with no food, no water, and more importantly, no light 
They say that's the worst part of it. And in this day, it was no different. When David and Hank were the two gentlemen were pulled to the surface through the hole through the hole that, that, that was made for them, everyone rejoiced, and the medical team sprung into action. Again, whenever they were trapped, they had. They had 14 days underground, six days without food and water, and then they were at least able to drop down food and and water to them for the the, the days that it took them to to drill the hole. But you would think after six days of no food and water, these men would be malnourished. They might have some different physical things happening to them. They they could have been injured when when the collapse happened. Yes, it was a miracle they found them alive, but there was another miracle that the papers explained away. See, when, when David and Hank came to the surface, they needed very little medical attention. Now, how, how is that possible? Well, see, these two men had an explanation for this. And the explanation was not put forth by our secular culture even back in 1963. It was real simple. For these men, angels attended to them. Angels attended to them. Of course, the headlines quickly changed from miracle, these men are alive, to minors suffer minor psychosis. They had hallucinations. They saw these angels. It was never reported how well these men were physically. And nobody reported this in the media. So, Joe, how do you know this? Well, because R.C. Sproul, anytime he talks about angels... He talks about the story because he lived there at the time when this happened. So the story that actually happened was not the story that was reported. Was this truly a miracle? Was this just happenstance that these men were in such awesome shape that they could go six days without food and water, without any light? And then, yes, they did get nourishment through the hole. I mean, you know, they couldn't hook them up to IVs to rapidly gain everything. But, but yet, when they were pulled to the service, they needed very, very little medical attention. And so, we are faced today with the question that our passage is going to face us with, and the question that Al Michaels asked an entire nation in 1980, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? Are, are we too sophisticated to believe in that sort of thing? Have we elevated our science and our reason above Scripture? Are we just way too sophisticated in in 2023 to actually believe that there's a supernatural that can invade the natural and change things? After all, miracles, as C.S. Lewis defines it, is a divine interference with nature by a supernatural power. That's what's happening. So is there room in our worldview today, our thinking, for something that defies natural laws? Do we believe that angels exist, and do we believe there are good and bad angels, as the Bible points out to us? Those who serve God and those who serve Satan. Do we believe that today? Why all this talk about angels and miracles? Because it's relevant to our passage today. Our our verses today contain the third part of Luke's introduction to Jesus' ministry. Luke first summarizes his entire ministry. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil. 
That's whenever Luke took us into the desert with Jesus and saw him defeating the devil. Then Luke gave us an example of Jesus preaching in a synagogue. And now he shows us how Jesus ministered here in Capernaum. The passage concentrates on Jesus' miraculous works, bringing to the forefront Jesus' authority, his authority. We will see Jesus has authority in his teaching. We will see that Jesus has authority over demons. That's why we must believe that they exist. And over sickness, as Nate alluded to. So let's just read together, starting in verse 31. We'll read 31 and 32 and just kind of walk through this story. We won't hit every single verse. Um, Some of it's repeated. But we're going to look at those three things. His authority in teaching, his authority over demons, and his authority over sickness. So Luke 4.31 says, And he went down to Capernaum in the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. There's a, a lingo that goes around today, I think. Maybe some of you have heard it, maybe some of you not. When you just say something, you know, when you're receiving something or you're hearing something, and, and you might just say, that just hits different. Right? That just hits different. I was telling Nate that the song that we sang, Tell His Story, right? The first time we did it, it was a, a, a guitar and a keyboard. And the next time it was just Nate. But when you put the full band around and we sing that song with our voices raised it up, it just hits differently. It hits differently. So when Jesus heard, when people heard Jesus preaching, they would lean back and say, that just hits differently. That just hits different. Jesus had an authority that was different. Mark would say, he would give us a clue into this authority. Mark would say in Mark 1.22, in the same historical account, he would say this. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So oftentimes when we're reading our Bible, we can, we can understand something by seeing how the Bible is giving us the negative to that or the opposite to that or the comparison to that. And that's exactly what Mark is doing. He's saying Jesus' authority was wonderful and it was not exactly like the scribes. There was something different to it. So this helps us understand Jesus' authority. A scribe would say nothing outside of what is written down already or what he heard his rabbi teacher say. So when it was the scribe's turn to to be in a synagogue and, and give the message, he would say nothing that was either not already written down by previous rabbis and teachers or something that his rabbi, specifically the one he was following, his rabbi or teacher would say. So in other words, their theology came very much second-handed. Much like what should happen on a given Sunday morning in the church today. Not that we get our theology second-handed because we have the Word of God and we can open it up. But the fact that the person behind the pulpit should say pretty much 90% of what's already been said before. There is nothing new under the sun. We're all looking and reading the same Word of God. Now, there is a difference between the preacher today and the scribe of Jesus' time, and that one thing is the Holy Spirit, because he is at work. He is at work through the person that is speaking, and he is at work with each one of you sitting in the pew today, if you are in Christ. The Word meets the Spirit, and he changes us. 
He affects us. The only way that we should say today, right, that that, that message or, or that passage or that teaching just hits different is because of the Holy Spirit in prayer. That's what makes the difference. Is, is the person that's coming up here on a Sunday morning prayed that the Word of God would work? Prayed that you would receive it? Has he prayed for the Holy Spirit to work in your hearts? Has he prayed for the Holy Spirit to work in his hearts? Many of you know a very profound preacher of our day, and it just seems like whenever you hear his messages, it just hits a little different, and his name is John Piper. But as one of the theologians that I lean on heavily, and one of the things that I really, really like to do is I love interviews because then you really get to hear about the person who is this person. In one of the interviews, I found something completely amazing. So, is it because John Piper is an awesome orator? He would say, no, he's not. Is it because he's a great um, uh, divider of Scripture? I would say he is, but he would say he's not. But, but in one of his interviews, you know what he gives anything that happens credit to, that happens whenever he preaches? And, and this is pretty amazing. That whenever he was pastoring his church, what he gave credit to was the ladies... And, and, it, and there were some men, but mostly ladies. Every single service, the whole time he preached, there was a group of people praying, not only for John, not only for the word to work, but for each one sitting in the pews. That's what makes it effective. Until this day, whenever he's out preaching, there are people praying for him as he speaks. See, it's not about how good the person is. It's about the Word of God, the authority of the Word, and the Holy Spirit that is working in each one of us. So let me just challenge us today. If we get nothing out of a Sunday morning service where the preacher does his best to rightly divide the Word of God, then one of two things is probably true. Either you are not saved because the Spirit is not dwelling in you. Or you have spent the entire week quenching the Spirit, living in your kingdom, living out your kingdom, not spending any time in the Word, not spending any time with the Lord. It's about you this week. And then you come through the doors and, and, and you wonder why, oh, oh okay, we, we sang some songs, we heard some, a message, and then back out the door we go. I'm I'm absolutely convinced one of two things is happening. Either you do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you because the the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to to pierce our hearts. Or you've just quenched the Spirit so much that He just steps away, sort of. And He allows you to do what you're going to do. Let me give you a simple illustration. And, and I hope I don't in no way want to embarrass um, the person at all. Please hear that. But Friday, I got the opportunity, and it was a privilege. Marty has been, and many of you know this, and some of you don't even know this couple, um, but um, these, are, these are our senior saints of our church, Harry and Marlene Deal. And what 
um, Marty has been doing each and every week is he would record, um, we record the sermon, he would dump it on a DVD. We have bought them a DVD player because they don't do technology, right? They don't do technology. And um, so we bought them a DVD player, we took it over, and so every Friday they go, Marty goes over and has service with them. And, and it's, it's just, it was such a blessing to be there this past Friday. Harry sang every single song. In fact, this was a, a Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. And whenever I stepped into their house, those two people that are pushing 90 right now, who've been walking with the Lord all this time, were eagerly waiting to watch church service and sing with us. And they did so. And it was incredible. It was incredible to be there. And it just so happened to be, he's about three weeks back, and this was the service right after the Galentine's event. And Maddie was up here, and she did the announcements. So think of Maddie's week that week, probably. Right? She has all these things that she's planning for. She's planning on leading them in worship. She's going to give them a message about loving Jesus. So she probably, maybe more than normal, prayed more that week than she normally does. I know Maddie prays often, regularly. But maybe that week she prayed just a little bit more, right? She's, she knows that these things are happening. And this is another reason why we say that it's not that you're being pulled out of service to go serve back there. It is a privilege to go disciple those young children. And your preparation time leading up to that is just as joyful as what you get here on a, on a Sunday morning because the Word works the same way no matter what media that you're using it through. But she said something whenever she came up. She's like, she said, she said, this is what I taught the ladies. And today's message really, oh, hit me in the gut. Well, that wasn't Joe's great message. It's going to go down in the archives as one of the great messages of all time. I watched the message, okay? That's really disturbing. But anyway, um, we'll move on from that. But the reason why it hits different is because Maddie was spent how much time with the Lord all week that week? And it's going to hit different. It's going to hit different. The Word and the Spirit give the preacher their authority. The Word and the Spirit gives the preacher the authority. Scribes spoke from their authorities. Jesus spoke with his authority. Jesus' authority is rooted in his identity. He is the author of life. His Word always works. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The thought is the same in 2 Timothy 3, 16, in which the scriptures are said to be God-breathed. The word originates in the mind of God, goes out from his mouth, and comes to man either in spoken or written form through the divinely appointed medium of revelation. The reason why it is unfailingly accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent forth is that it is divine. It's because the Word of God comes from God Himself. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word is God's. It belongs to to him. And for this reason, it fulfills its task. Not only does his word bring about salvation for believers, 
So also the word brings about condemnation for the wicked. And this is what we see next. This is exactly what we see next. Jesus' authority, uh, authoritative word stirs the already condemned demon within someone sitting within this congregation. Let's read verses 33 through 37 together. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? See, the word did the work. What is this word for which authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out? And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. We see his authority in his teaching, and secondly, we see his authority over the demonic. This is the first of 21 miraculous stories of the gospel of Luke. It's a story to use of modern vernacular, an exorcism. That's what we would call it today. Jesus casting out a demon out of a person. The story represents a micro picture of what Jesus is doing on a, on a larger scale. He is defeating the works of the devil. He is defeating the works of the devil. As Jesus was in the, in the little synagogue teaching his sermon, it was interrupted by an individual who was possessed by a demon. His word condemned even the demon. The demon, like elsewhere, is creating havoc, yelling out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The demon knows he is condemned to the lake of fire. They know that because they know the word of God. And this demon knows exactly who will put him in that lake of fire, the Holy One of God. The demon knew there is no common ground for the demon who is unclean and the clean Holy One of God. The song we sang today. The Holy One is meeting with an unholy one. Interesting enough, the demon has good sound theology. This is where we come up with another warning. We see all through the gospel accounts that demons have really, really good theology. They know exactly who God is, and they know exactly who Jesus is. They know exactly what he came to do. They know all this, but they're still condemned. They confess correct things about God and about Christ. And again, that is very instructive for us today. Confession of truth is not the same as confession of faith. Confession of truth is not the same as confession of faith. As Tim was, was praying for us today out of the, the passage in Mark, whenever we, we bring these two miracles together, the miracle of casting out demons and, and the miracle of healing the sick to the miracle of our salvation, he mentioned these four men. And what did these four men show? They knew who Jesus was. But why did he heal him? Why did he forgive his sins? Because of their what? Because of their faith. Because of their faith. So confession of truth, brother and sister, is not the same as a confession of faith. Because our confession of faith, as James rightly tells us, is going to be followed by fruit. It's going to be followed by 
works that honor God, that glorify God. As these men were lowering, as they dug through Peter's roof (laughs) and lowered this man in to be healed because they had no other way in to see Christ. We must have a profession of faith, much more a profession of faith in the Christ that is presented to us in the Scripture. So this guy is tormented. Let's remember where we started. Where did we start today? Is there room in your worldview? Is there room in your thinking for demons and demon possession? Is there room for that? In the way you think of your worldview and in the life around you and and what the Word of God says? Are these things that you read and you're like, ah, I can't believe that, but I'll believe the rest of this good stuff. We can't pick and choose about the Word of God. Now, just let me say a few things about demon possession while we're here. I'll give you a a few things that might correct some things, might some things that you say, yep, I know that, that's good. First and foremost, please... Please, please, a born-again believer with the light of God dwelling in them cannot be possessed by a demon. Absolutely impossible. Dark and light cannot exist in the same place. It is absolutely impossible. I know that some people will bifurcate ourselves by saying that we have a soul, we have a body, and a spirit. Okay, well, the Holy Spirit takes over our spirit. Our soul is always good, and the demon will come and possess our body, and that's how we become demon-possessed. Stop it. That's wrong. That's just flat-out wrong. Light and dark cannot exist in the same place. If you are a born-again believer in Christ, there is no way that you can be demon-possessed. You can be tormented and aggravated, but you cannot be possessed. So let's just take that off the table. Um, and also, we, we, we need to stop and think that, that in cases of insanity or mental illness or mental sickness, that that's not all demon possession either. That's, that's things that either our body is doing or ways that we are hung up in our thinking and different things like that. So that, that's not just all demon possession because there was a lot of I, I know there was a lot of thinking coming out of the, the true true believing of demons and things that every time someone exhibited mental illness that, that was a demon I'm, I'm talking many hundreds of years ago so let's, let's take that off either we're not saying that either what I am saying is, is I believe that this is a special phenomenon especially present during the ministry of Jesus why is it present for Jesus well Okay, if, if, if the enemy, right, Jesus is the enemy of Satan. He's the enemy of these demons. You know that he's the one that has inaugurated the kingdom and that one day they will all be thrown into the lake of fire. So if Jesus is walking around the earth and this is the, the realm that they, they now have been, been sent to by God, if, if this has happened, they're going to want to take him out as fast as possible if they can. Now, obviously, they can, they can never win. But, but I think that's why we see it so much in Scriptures. And so do a lot of other scholars agree with that. And I think also the reason that we see the frequency of it, of it is um, because the demons are realizing that the kingdom of darkness is under threat. One thing is it's under threat. 
They, they want all hell, all hell to break loose against the ministry of Jesus. They don't want him to succeed. Again, Jesus come to destroy the works of the devil. It would be no shocker that the first miracle we see in the book of Luke is Jesus casting out the demon from this man. I know this is sometimes hard for our modern ears to accept. We want to classify this as some other condition or some other category. So it kind of obviously raises the question, are people still possessed by demons today? Well, the answer is yes. We are in a spiritual battle, and the cosmic forces of darkness are still fighting against us. Read Ephesians 6. These powers seek to gain control in any way they can. They are often at work promoting evil in the structures of sinful society, but in their wickedness, they sometimes seek to dominate particular individuals. Is this as frequent as it was in Jesus' day? I would say absolutely it is. It's just not as noticeable. And I think that is simply because of a math issue. That's simply because of a math issue. Just remember that there are only a finite number of angels. There's only so many angels that fell with Satan. There's only so many demons on the planet. That has not changed. He's not recruiting more people. However, population estimates in Jesus' day is about 150 to 300 million people on the whole planet. Well, right now today, there's 335 or so, 332 million people just in America. And oh, by the way, there's like 7.8 billion people on the planet. So, finite number of angels, a lot more people, it's not going to be as prevalent today. So, just by percentage, it is not as noticeable today. But I, I seriously believe and completely believe it still happens let me also say this. Demon possession goes well beyond ordinary temptation. In some Christian circles, it is, has become popular to attribute every sin to a particular demon. No, it's not how it works. James tells us, what comes out of you is because what's inside of you, right? It's your desires, and that's what comes out. It's not demon possession, um, people who think too highly of themselves do not have a demon spirit of pride, right? They're just prideful, right? People who gossip too much do not have a demon spirit of gossip. They just like telling everybody's business. Oftentimes that is rooted in the fact that they want to feel good about themselves, right? It's not that either. So don't sway into that arena at all, please. Or, as I said before, is demon possession merely a matter, matter of mental illness whatsoever? And we can go on, but um, what Luke wants us to see is that this was part of his ongoing war with the devil. And the simple fact that his word cast it out immediately. He had authority over the demon. In this war, Jesus had authority over the demons, which he exercised simply, as I said, by speaking his word. As Martin Luther wrote in his famous hymn about God's victory over Satan, one little word shall fell him. The same word that Jesus had used to defeat the devil in the wilderness, the word of God, he now used to cast out demons. And lastly, Luke tells us about Jesus' authority over sickness. The same Christ who taught people the word and triumph over demons also had the power to touch 
their bodies. He also had the compassion to do so. Again, we, we have this understanding that, yeah, God created everything. And yes, in Genesis 3, we messed it up. But from Genesis 3, clear to Revelation, to the day that we are in the new heavens and a new earth, there's one thing about God that we see. He wants to spend time with us. He has done all of this. Not because we're awesome, not because he needs it, because that's what he desires. To be with us. To spend time with us. We see Jesus' compassion on display. As, as we read in, down in the other verses that we might not exactly um, dive into, but many who came were healed. He showed compassion to them. He loved them dearly. Verse 38 says, And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appeared to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. So Peter's mother-in-law was ill with a very high fever. After a brief consultation, Jesus stood over her bed, and he commanded the fever to come out. Fever stopped. I know there's many people in our congregation that's in the medical field. I'm sure that at some point in time you were frustrated chasing somebody's illness or someone's sickness. And you would just like to be able to say, whatever it is, get out. But we can't. But thank God he's given us the common grace of modern medical ways and means. He had the power over disease, just like he has the power over demons. Both the physical world and the spiritual world were under his divine authority. All he had to do was rebuke the fever, and it was gone. He just spoke his word, and it was gone. Peter's mother-in-law was totally immediately better. Her cure was complete. Luke proves this by showing that what she did next. What she did next, he, he spoke the word, the fever left, and she got up and served everybody. It was immediate. We know Jesus well enough to expect this kind of miracle. As we've read our Bibles, we've read about these miracles. We've read about the different things he did. we read about what Tim read today about the paralytic being healed. We know him and about these miracles. But to people who were there that day, it was such an amazing occurrence that the word quickly spread. And that's what we read in verses 40 through 41. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick and various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. There they are. They're recognizing his identity. But he rebuked them and could not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now presumably the reason people waited until sunset was avoid breaking the Sabbath, to do no work on the Sabbath rest, the day of rest. Remember this all happened on on God's day of rest. And when it had ended, people started streaming to Jesus. Peter's home became a house of healing as, as Jesus cured all these diseases and removed tumors and mended broken bones and did whatever else people needed to, to do that they needed healed from. Again, we ask the question, does Jesus have this healing power today? I believe the answer is yes. Of course he does. He's God He's the same as yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Absolutely, he has this healing power. He controls all. He speaks all. 
He's creator and Lord of human body, and he, he can work miracles whenever he wants to. Whenever he wants to. But I, I fervently don't believe that people have the gift of healing, where they can heal as Jesus healed here in our passage. I don't believe that that's still, I don't believe that that is true today. But I earnestly believe in God's design for that process. So he didn't leave us without a design for that. James tells us, here's the design for that. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. So what he's saying here is simple. He's saying, call for the ones that you have covenanted with. I mean, that's our word. Different churches have different ways of doing it, but we've covenanted with one another. And what we said is that you will allow us, you will submit to our spiritual authority as we are overseers of your spiritual life. So within the local body, that's why we become members of churches, you see this, that you call the elders, the ones who have stepped forward and said that, okay, I'm responsible for your spiritual well-being. That's what an elder does. That they care for your spiritual life. They care for you. So he says, call the elders of the church and let them pray over you, uh, pray over him. He's talking about those that are sick, anointing him with oil in the name of of the Lord. See, it's not in the name of the person that's praying or the person that's praying, in the name of the Lord. And, and you're, you're pleading with him to move. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this is, this is what Jesus has called us, this is what the Word of God has called us to do. And again, what's Luke brings this whole passage, right? He shows us Jesus' authority is in his word. He shows us Jesus' authority over demons. He shows us Jesus' authority over the sick. But remember, that wasn't Jesus' mission. Jesus had a specific mission, and Luke brings us back to that. And when it was day, he departed and went into the desolate place, and the people saw him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. There's his mission. I must proclaim the good news. His word is going to do the work. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. My mission is, is yeah, I'm healing people. I'm, I'm doing that. But my mission is to proclaim the word of God. Is to proclaim the word of God. Jesus exercised three different kinds of authority. But he exercised them all the same way. He did it by his word. He did it by his word. How did he exercise his teaching authority? By speaking an authoritative word. How did he exercise his authority over demons? Simply by rebuking them. How did he exercise his authority over disease? He did it the same way. By telling the fever to come out through his word. Words may not seem very powerful. But when they come from God, they have the power to transform people's lives, to triumph over the supernatural evil, and to overturn the effectiveness of illness. The words of Jesus carry supreme divine authority over creation and all the power of hell. What are we to take from this today? What are we to take from this authority that Jesus has in the Word of God? What are we to do with this miracle stories in the gospel? 
It is absolutely true that the miracles are here to provide proof of Jesus' identity. Yes, that's the, the fundamental main reason why they're here is to show you that Jesus is God so that you know who you are truly worshiping. But I think there's more than that. It's not an either or, it's a, a kind of a, a both and as, as the gospels and, and the scriptures often are. We, we love doing the, the either or thing, but it, I think it's also a both and. And the miracles do point us to this future when there will be no sickness. It points us to this wonderful future that God has promised us, where there is no sickness, where we will live in a world that is not influenced by Satan. That is all true. But the miracles also point us to Christ's atoning death and resurrection. These miracle accounts are but pictures of salvation. They are pictures of salvation. Sin is pictured as blindness, paralysis, leprosy, which means defilement, and being hostage to the devil. This is how our sin is all depicted all through the New Testament. I mean, Jesus started his first message saying that he's going to free the captives. He's going to give sight to the blind. This is what these miracles are pointing to. This, it's like a yellow brick road right to the cross, right to his atonement. Each healing is a sign of the ultimate healing, our salvation, that Jesus will accomplish on the cross. If you want to see a miracle today, look to your left or look to your right. Because if there's a born-again believer sitting beside you, that is an absolute miracle. But we seem to just to d- dismiss that and are looking for all these other signs. No, that is an absolute miracle. This all comes together in the accounts of the paralytic who was dropped from the ceiling into Peter's house that Tim read for us. The healing of the man's paralysis was a sign of Jesus' authority to actually do what? To forgive sin. Yes, he did forgive sin first, but then they questioned him. And he said, okay, do you want to see what authority I have to forgive sin? Get up and walk. Pick up your bed and walk. Pick up your bed and walk. Brother and sister, today is the day of salvation. If you trust in Jesus today, if you trust in the Jesus as the authority over the demons who is defeating the work of the devil, if you trust in the Jesus who has the authority over sickness, and if you trust in the Jesus who has the authority to forgive our sins because he went to the cross, today is the day of salvation. Beloved, we see here today, Jesus' authority is our blessing. It is our blessing. The blessing of salvation and the blessing of the promise of the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no sickness, no demonic activity, and most importantly, no sin. So the question for you today is, will you worship him today? Will you worship him today? Because he is an absolute wonderful Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, because it has authority. Father, I pray today, if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord, that today is the day of salvation. Father, and for those who know you and are walking with you, 
Let us rejoice in this wonderful miracle of our salvation. Let us rejoice that the Word of God and has authority. Do we not live wondering where our authority comes from? Because we are in Christ. That's our authority. We are in Christ. And Father, just help us. Help us to see Jesus for who he is and then trust in him for every aspect of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.